I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 38. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 38. As Bill mentioned uh, last week, I am simply completing a message in which Bill began. Just completing a message uh, that Bill started about Jesus speaking of his second coming. And I must say, for an old man, Jesus did an, or Bill did an amazing job, you know, teaching that to us. Uh, as he matures and grows older. Uh, He helped us see it, right, clearly, so to speak, since this is the conclusion of that message. uh, I'd like to teach the passage in this way, very simple. Um, I want to do a review. So we're going to review what Bill covered. Then I'm going to do an overview of verses 25 to 38. And then I'm going to take Bill's two applications, and I'm going to add one. So review, okay, and then an overview, And I'm going to give you one application that we're going to add on to those that Bill talked to us about. To review, we simply need to go back to the diagram Bill drew up. I've added a few little things, but let's just go back to this diagram to to remind us what's happening in the text and even why the text can be a bit confusing. Uh, In Luke uh, 21, verse 5, or 7, the disciples ask a question, and Jesus begins to answer that question. And Jesus looks off into the, if I can face this way, it's like Jesus looks off into the future. And as so many Old Testament prophets did, when they looked into the future, they would prophesy of something that's right in the near future, but it was also speaking of something that was way beyond that near event. And that's what Jesus is doing in this whole chapter. And so Bill described it in this way. Jesus is in the year 33 AD. Uh, Jesus looks forward and speaks of the destruction, the devastating destruction, right, in 70 AD of Jerusalem. He says, this is what's going to happen. And he describes those events. And as Bill described it so well... You know, you need reading glasses and you also need contact lenses to to see this. The reading glasses help us see the destruction of Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about. But what I'm going to do in the next 20, 30 minutes is I'm going to have you put on the contacts or, you know, the regular lenses. And we're going to look far beyond because not only was he speaking of this, but he was speaking of an event out here, which is his second coming and what happens when he returns to this planet. Bill's applications were, God is in control. Because when we look at what happened, he said it was going to happen, and it did. Literally, historically, exactly as he said it would. And if that happened in the short term, then we can know he's in control long term. When we forget God's in control, we get fearful. So Bill's second application was, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. Now, he also put these two words up here that I want to draw attention to, this age and the age to come. Bill talked about this maybe four weeks ago. That in in terms of history and the the Jewish mind, the Hebrew mind said, you know, they always viewed time as there is this age and then there is an age to come. And I've only added this little dot on Bill's diagram to say, here's what we know according to the Bible, that there was a beginning. And then from that beginning, time marched forward. And then 33 AD, you know, just on and on and on. But time moves forward. But there is an end to time as we know it. Now, what we're going to see in the passage, and again, I'm going to take a broader context of the Bible is, 
when Jesus comes, to, comes the second time, it is the end in a very real sense. But what the Bible reminds us of is there is an age to come. And in the age to come, I'll come back to this, those who know Christ are with Christ, living and reigning forever. When he comes, those who don't know Christ, haven't placed their trust in Christ, then they are separated from God forever and ever. Now, let me make a philosophical comment on this, if I may. The, 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 the view of the day primarily was a, was a Stoic view of history. And the Stoics believed that history was circular. And trust me, there are a lot of people today, you know, watch the movies, you know, watch world views. But they believed that, that history was a circle, was circular. You know, think Lion King, as much as I like it, you know, the circle of life. And just, it's not just the Serengeti, it's the whole globe. It's everything in the world. It's the whole universe. It just keeps cycling and circling. And Jesus said, mm-mm. Jesus took the circle and laid it flat. The Bible does this and said there's a beginning and there is an end. What I want to suggest is the degree to which we have confidence that it's going to end the way Jesus says is actually a measure of our hope. Let me say it again. I'll I'll say it, if I can, maybe in in principle form. Our hope is only as certain as our confidence that the future will happen as God has promised. How much hope do you have? What's your measure of hope? I want to suggest at some level, you got to answer this question. How certain am I? How confident am I that it's going to happen the way God says it's going to happen. I think it's a good measure, at least baseline measure, of hope. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Well, that's the review, okay? Well, I said three parts. There's a review. We've looked at verses 5 all the way to 24 when Jesus looks out into the future. We looked at that with our reading glasses, and now I'm going to take the contact lenses and look further out. That's verses 25 all the way to 38. Looking past the destruction of Jerusalem, Jesus now is speaking of an event that will have very similar characteristics, but he looks far beyond and he's looking at this event, at when he comes again. And when he does, if I can summarize this little section, Jesus sees a future of cosmic and global chaos like the world's never seen or will see again follow along in your bibles if you would verse 25 jesus is speaking and he says there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man, a title Jesus uses of himself, 
the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He sees a future of cosmic, cataclysmic, heavenly and earthly chaos. I want you to know when they heard Jesus say this, they weren't shocked. In other words, when when Jesus spoke of this time, it's not like the the Jews listening were going, I never knew that. Really? That's going to happen in the future? No, they knew that, that when God comes to judge, that this is what would happen. I could cite a number of passages. I'm just going to hit a few. Just, you don't need to turn there. Isaiah 13, 11. God says, Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its, the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. Isaiah 24, 20. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard and totters like a shack. It's like we can go all around that passage, but, but just think of the image he gave us. He said the earth, I'm talking the planet earth, will totter and shake like this little, you know, Sears steel garage storehouse in your backyard. I mean, that's what the earth will be like on that. The earth, people, will be like that. The heavens darken, the stars no light. And then right smack in the middle of this cosmic chaos, what happens? Jesus returns back to planet earth on a cloud. Again, they don't, they're not going, what? That can't, because God, God arrived on, on, on a cloud in the Old Testament. And when he did, and one commentator says clouds are like God's chariot. When he did, he came to judge. And this is a reference to Daniel 7. And again, our, we, don't, we don't sit here and hear that and go, oh yeah, Daniel 7. But I want to suggest to you, they did. Be, because they knew these things. They had been taught these things. They had been read Isaiah and Daniel and all these stories. Daniel seven thirteen says this. Just listen. I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days. The son of man, the the son, came to the ancient of days, the father, and was presented before him. And to him, the ancient of, the father gave to the son, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I want you to understand when Jesus says, verse 27, he's speaking of himself that he will come again. And just to kind of drive the nail home, I want you to flip over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is, I don't know exactly, you know, maybe 50-something days, I'm not sure, you know, less than 50 days after Jesus said this. Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised again. He walks the planet in a resurrected body, and then he's getting ready to go back to the Father and note what Luke himself records. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And after he, after Jesus, had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. They also said, Men of Galilee, 
why do you stand looking into the sky? And I always want to say, because a man just went up into the sky on a cloud. I mean, this is unbelievable. You know, but, but he did. I mean, he, he phys- this is real. He physically did that in a cloud. And they said, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Is this not the angel? Simply saying what Jesus said some 40 plus days earlier, that you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to come back to verse 28 when we look at our application I simply want to take this first section and go, Jesus looked ahead and said, there is coming something we've never seen nor will see again, both in the heavens and on earth, that will make men faint with fear and confusion at the earth itself and the heavens, if I can say it this way, convulsing. And in the midst of that, he's simply saying, I'm coming back. Now, just stick with me here. He's not drawing a line. He's not drawing a diagram in the sand. He's not describing, now, this is what's going to happen here, and this is going to happen here, and then it's going to go up here. And the, he's not doing that. That's not the focus of the passage. The passage, as we're going to see, is focused on, as Bill even said, the, the character of, of the believer and how do we respond in that day. Well, he goes on, and he actually answers their question because you'll remember they said, hey, when's this going to happen, and how are we going to know? How are we, know, how are we going to know what's getting ready to happen? Well, he gives a very simple parable. Look at verse 29. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, it's, it's exactly what you think it is. Jesus looked at him and said, Hey guys, you know how when a tree begins to bud, you know summer is right around the corner. Got it. Just so you know, when these things start happening, just know my coming is near right around the corner. He also, I think, it's appropriate in this context for us to say, not only is it right around the corner, but in the same way that when the tree buds, no one can stop the season from changing. When you see the tree bud, no one can stop what's coming. And so at least two thoughts here. It's near and it's certain. It's going to happen. Now, a, a lot has been made of this phrase, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. And those of you who are more scholarly and, 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 and you know, Bible study, Bible students, uh, you know better than I that we could spend the rest of our time going, Which, what does it mean? What does it mean? And I don't mean to be disrespectful at all, but it's not, I was going to say, I don't care what it means. I, I, I do care what it means, but we don't know what it means. <laughs> We, we're not sure. I'll give you three options, three, three good options, okay? One would be that he's speaking to this generation and he says to them, these things won't, you know, the, 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 you're not going to pass away until these things happen. Now you go, well, wait a minute, they, they clearly passed away and it happened. Well, there's actually a way of looking at it and going, okay, maybe he was talking about the things related to Jerusalem, however you want to say it. But that could be one option. 
The second option could be that a generation is a kind of people. And so he's saying to them, the most, you know, most scholars would say, you know, there will always be people who reject Jesus, who reject God. There'll always be that kind of generation. And Jesus is just saying, so until the day I return, just know there will be a, there will be a generation that doesn't trust me. Okay, could be. The third option could be this, that Jesus is saying, when these things, I'm talking about the cataclysmic events begin. I mean, things like, like way beyond the tsunami or way beyond any earth that we've known. You know, I'm talking global type things. When those things begin, if you're alive when those things begin, just know you're going to be there when it ends. That those who are alive, when, when they begin, and which matches the budding of the tree, right? Because you figure if it's budding, you're going to be there when summer's here. It's going to come near. So that would be an option. Well, which is it? I don't know. And I would, I would offer to you, you could take, you know, any of those. I tend to lean toward the third one. But, but here's, here, here's what I want you to see. When you read this passage, that, I don't think that's the thrust of the passage. I think the thrust of the section is, is notice, this, notice the repetition of this phrase. This generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I think I'd rather spend more time on what does pass away mean? He says it three times. Well, uh, it's the Greek word parokamai. It carries the idea of perishing. But it can mean perish in a little different sense, depending on the context. Pass away, this Greek word, does mean in certain contexts like is no more. Extinguished, gone in an absolute sense. But when this Greek word is used in relation to words or, or, or declarations, it doesn't mean like extinguished in an absolute sense. It means not fulfilled. Uh, you said this was going to happen. Well, your words that said this was going to happen, your words passed away. It didn't happen like you said. You see that? So, so I think that the, the, the emphasis here, Jesus is saying, uh, there are two things that, that pass away, that are no more, that are transient. Uh, because he says of the generation, it's not like this generation's not going to pass away. He just says they're going to pass away after this happens. So two things pass away in an absolute sense. They're wiped away. They're, they are no more. But then he says, but my words will not, not be fulfilled. My words will not hit their mark. What I say will be. Remember what I said earlier about, con, uh, about hope, that, that at some level, a measure of our hope is the measure of which I'm confident that what Jesus said is gonna happen is gonna happen. What's my level of confidence? I, I take this and I go, I, I think Jesus is saying about as strongly as he can. You know, we think of the world and the earth. I mean, the concrete on your feet, you kind of go, this is real. This is, per this is lasting. This is real. I don't Jesus is taking the biggest things that we think are permanent, and he's going, they're not. But what I say, hmm, <laughs> it's way, can I say, permanent, way true, way going to happen. How can I say it? If it, it may be like this. One word of Jesus is more, and again, I'm kind of getting metaphoric on this, but it's more, if I can say this, real. 
I, I mean, it, it's more true, if I can say it, than uh, the Rocky Mountains and the whole globe and every star in heaven. Because <laughs> they're going to pass away, but what I say is going to be. And so I would say when we trust that, our measure of hope will rise. He concludes the whole section about his coming with a very practical exhortation. We're still in this overview section. So look at verses 34 to 38. It says, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and worries of life and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth, all, all. Notice that. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now I'm going to grab verse 37 38 in this way. Everybody look up at me for a minute. Back in chapter 19, verse 5, Luke introduced us to this whole section by saying, Jesus entered the temple and began to teach. 37 and 38, chapter 21, it's called an inclusio. And so Luke's going to take what he began here and he's going to make an inclusio. He's going he's to wrap it up. He's going to say, I'm, I'm closing out this section. So he, he takes these two verses and sticks them right here to say, this section is complete. Verse 37, now during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. And all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple and listen. The section is done, right? Bookend, bookend. Now, in that section 34 to 36, what I want you to note first is that every person on the planet Earth will know when Jesus comes back. He says it. He says all, all, everywhere. It's just get this. I don't care if you're on the South Pole. You know, it's not like you're not going to see him. I don't know how this will happen, but Jesus makes very clear. No one will go, I didn't know what happened. <laughs> Had no idea he came back. I was, I was out in Fiji, you know, I don't know. No, everyone will know. But everyone won't experience that coming the same way. What he says, notice the language he uses, trap, escape. Some will experience that day as a trap. Some will, quote, escape that. Now, what helps us get at what Jesus means here is that phrase when he says, stand before the Son of God. It's a judicial picture. Remember, coming in the clouds, this is God the judge coming to judge the wicked and the righteous. If you're wicked, you can't Literally, so to stand in front of the judge. You're not going to be standing when the judge is done with you. But if you're righteous, then you can stand before the judge. It's this picture that when he comes, if you know, if you're not, if you can't stand before the sun, you know, it comes as a trap, and you are forever apart from God. If you're standing, then I'll talk about this in a moment. It means you've trusted Christ. And you're with him forever. And if I can say this, because oftentimes people look at this chart, you know, and it's like, I just can't stand it when people say people go to hell, you know, and God wouldn't punish someone that, you know, you know what I mean? God's all God of love, etc. And, and I, I, here's what I want you to understand, and I don't have time to go into tremendous detail, but whether you spend an eternity with God or you spend eternity apart from God, please understand this, everyone gets exactly what they want. 
I mean, let's, I mean, let's quit throwing egg on God's character and let's just stand back and go, you know, everybody gets what they want. Because those who don't want God, well, when Jesus comes or you die, I assure you, you don't get God. You didn't want, you don't. And so those who do, you know, awaken to faith and believe, then you get God. Are you with me on that? So it'll be different, though everyone, everyone will know that he's returned. Let's step back from the overview and let's just say this. little summary statement. At some time in the future, there are gonna, there's going to be such supernatural, cataclysmic, chaotic, heavenly, and global convulsions that men will faint with fear. And in the midst of that, Jesus Christ is going to return to planet Earth. It says he is. He says he is. I believe he is. When he comes on that day, everyone will know. Everyone will know that he's come back. No one will miss it. If in that day you cannot stand before him, you perish. If you stand, you reign and live with him forever. There's the review. There's an overview of this particular text. Now let me give you the application. One application. Bill's application. I'm just, we're going to have three when we're done. So one was, well, when we look at this whole section, look, God's in control. Because God's in control, you do not have to fear. Not when you know he's in control. I'm going to add a third application and principle and stick with me as I go through it. The third one would be this. <clears throat> the best is yet to come. I, I, I want you to understand... I, you know, we live, it's 2000, so we're, we're somewhere on this side of this. I don't know if this is this big or, I don't know. But I'm just going to tell you, when you look into the future, men and women, can please understand, I think the passage is saying, we have everything to look forward to, everything to look forward to. The best is yet to come. Look again at verse 28. Notice what Jesus said, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I don't know about you, but I've got a little thing up here to maybe help us with this. And these, you know, jack-in-the-box. You know, I honestly, I, um, I don't like these things at all. They, they, it's kind of clown-like, right? No, no, clowns scare me still, you know, so a, a little spooky. Uh, but you know how Jack in the Box works, right? You know, it's, you start. And you feel, you know, you're just kind of going, you know, because it's not, you know, it's not like a Swiss watch that right when it hits that note, point, it doesn't happen like that. They all, their timing is off, you know? So you don't, you don't know exactly when it's going to come. You kind of, you know, it's close, but I've, and even this is the truth, even with this, you know, and I've done it, this is the third time I've done it. You know, I keep going. The, the level of anxiety in me with one of these things is like, Ugh. but what I'm, what I'm showing it to you is I can remove the anxiety. I can totally remove it. Let's just imagine, you have to go with me here, here in your mind's eye. Imagine that rather than, you know, the, the silly clown, you know, popping up at some strange, you know, at that moment, whatever. Imagine that what was going to pop up out of this box 
was a check written to you. You got to imagine this, you know, but that's a good check. But there's, when, it, when it pops up and opens, there's going to be a check that pops up for you for a billion dollars, right? See, then what is it? <laughs> you, know, you want it. You want it. I want it. Come on. I want to suggest to you that in verse 28 and elsewhere, quite frankly, Jesus is saying that when he comes, a billion dollars will be as valuable as one of those pennies you crunch in the machine in Gatlinburg and it's just a worthless emblem of a bear. That, that's what a billion dollars will be like when he comes back. Because when he comes back, you see our redemption, our, when he's, it's getting close, our redemption is drawn near. When he comes back, our redemption is complete. Track with me on this. Our redemption, in a very real sense, is done. So, so it's, it's a fact that, that we were in bondage to sin. We were, we, 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 we were deserving of death and wrath. But God, and by his son and the blood of Jesus, we have been redeemed from that. And we stand, therefore, with no fear of condemnation. Men and women, that is true. But it's not all there is. Do you know there's more? You see, because being forgiven and living the rest of our lives on this planet, knowing that we've been forgiven, we're cleansed from all sin, we'll have a future with God, that's great. I don't mean, I'm not diminishing that at all, but please understand, that's not everything. That's not the fullness of redemption. See, when he comes again, what he's talking about is our redemption is going to be final, full, complete when we trust Christ, we are removed from the penalty of sin. I no longer will suffer the penalty of my sin. But I got to tell you, we're not removed from the presence of it. I don't know about you, but I haven't been removed from the struggle with sin. Because I still do things that I shouldn't. And I don't do things that I should. And I'm not quoting Paul. I'm telling you me. And I hurt people. People hurt me. <laughs> when Jesus comes, I mean, we th I know there's these events surrounding this, but when he comes, do we understand the final residue of guilt and shame that, you know, I have, it's gone forever. When he comes again, fear and anxiety. Anybody have a little level of fear and anxiety today about it? I do. It's gone how long is it gone? Forever. When he comes again, I'm going to tell you something. When he wipes away every tear, he wipes away every tear because there's nothing painful worth crying about. Think about your physical body. When he comes again, the ache, the thing you took aspirin for this morning, you know, the thing that you know's wrong with you, that's growing inside of you, that's going to kill you, whatever, it's gone. It's gone. Think about your emotional world. No one sits in this room without emotional scars. You don't. You cannot live on planet earth and not be harmed in your soul. You can't live on this planet and not experience loss and hurt. You can't do it. 
And, you know, I don't mean to diminish the Christian life. I mean, we, we can live with a fullness of confidence, et cetera, et cetera. But there are things in our souls that aren't going to be totally set right until he comes again or we go to be with him. But when he does, your soul is made whole. Whole. You know how you have moments when you have a peace? It's like this peace floods you. I have those moments, and when I do, I'm kind of going, oh, I hope this doesn't end. But it does. How about when you have moments of joy? I'm talking about just pure, just, just the joy. And, and I don't want to hang on to it, but you know what? It doesn't, it fades. When he comes again, the peace and the joy, can I tell you this? It'll never end. It'll be perfect. Everything to look forward to. Everything to look forward to. It gets even better. Look again at the text. Look at verse 36. I want you to notice in that day, he says, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That word stand it's in the Greek, it's, it's in the passive voice. Well, what, what does that mean? I don't know, we have to get Michael up here to explain that to us. No, the, pa- the, the passive voice, it means this, it's being acted upon. And so it reads literally that not, you got to stand, it's you will be made to stand. Whoo, which makes a lot more gives me a lot more hope, will be made to stand in that day. Remember, the judge comes and only the righteous can stand. I don't know about you, but if I've got to stand in that day in my righteousness, I won't be standing. But Jesus is saying, you'll be made to stand. Those who've trusted him will be made to stand in that day. And so our standing even in this day, listen, men and women, it's ultimately not of us. It's of him, he makes us stand, which helps me make sense of this benediction that we often read. You know, I love the benediction. It's one of our favorites, you know, Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you, what's the word? Stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Same Greek word, Active voice, because Jesus is saying, Jesus makes you stand. If my standing in that day was dependent upon me, whether willpower or right living or whatever, can I tell you something? My hope would flutter away. My hope would be a vapor. But if my hope in that day is what Jesus has done and that Jesus is going to keep his word? No, it's not a vapor. It's an absolute certainty. And hope rises when we trust that. So what? 
Well, here's what I want to say is that Jerusalem has fallen. When Jesus said these words, it would be less than 40 years, but Jerusalem would fall. And, and I want you to note in verse 28, it says, but when these things begin to take place, when these things begin to take place, and we could go, well, you know, the earth hasn't convulsed, the stars haven't fallen. Well, no, they haven't, but he says, when these things begin. I, I think it would be appropriate to go, when he said that, Jerusalem fell. I, I, I'm, what I'm saying is, I think they have begun at some level. So what I'm saying is, is this, you know, listen one more time, that the time is going. And rather than that, you know, going back, to, rather than that creating like, you know, tension, when we believe what Jesus says, no, uh-uh. You stand up. You lift your head. We've been doing some work this week with a really good friend of ours, a counselor, Jack Nicholson, who's helping us do some leadership development and helping us get at issues of the heart, you know, wholeness of heart, integrity, etc. And he said something that I've known, but when he said it, I just went, oh, it's so true. He said, the body never lies. So, you know, I could stand up here and tell you I'm, I'm happy. I am super happy. I'm so, I'm just through, you know, my, the body can't lie. Which is why Jesus could say with integrity, stand up, lift up your head. Because the day of your redemption is drawing near. And that's what I'd like us to do.